The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture is from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Eric Fesco, I'm the Director of Discipleship for Christ Presbyterian Church, and I just uh, once again want to thank Stacy for giving me the, uh, the opportunity for being here and being with you all on a special Sunday. Stacy has a couple more weeks left on his uh, preaching sabbatical, so in the meantime, I'll, I'll be here this week. Uh, it's wonderful to be with you uh, this Sunday uh, to observe both sacraments and uh, on such a special Sunday and, and commissioning Jordan as she uh, partakes in this next uh, part of her journey. Uh, so once again, uh, it's a real joy to be here. Thank you. It was some time ago, not more than a few years, when I was driving down the interstate and I came upon a really nice looking luxury SUV. It was nice. It was, it was German. It was all black, jet black. Tinted windows, black as well, and it was therefore not difficult to notice, stenciled in white cursive letters on the bottom left of the back window of the vehicle. On the back of this luxury vehicle, it read, we are a blessed family. Now, let me just come right out and say it. I point this out not to criticize the owner of the black luxury SUV. In fact, if this is your car, I'd like to apologize for making you feel uncomfortable (laughs) in this moment. Uh, I'm not here to cast dispersions on owning nice SUVs and making commentary in the back windows of them. I'm bringing this up because I want to point out my own deficiency here. When I saw this SUV, if I'm being honest, my first thought was, I would like to be blessed, Lord. (laughs) Perhaps it was just a bit of covetousness on my part. The whole incident, though, got me thinking and contemplating what exactly it means to be blessed. And Stacy just mentioned this a minute ago in, in, uh, in, uh, when we were observing baptism. Blessed is one of those words. It's one of the most popular hashtags on social media. Hashtag blessed. You'll find that in every posting, every status update, anyone with a great family, good job, or just generally happy circumstances. So again, it begs the question, what does it mean to be blessed? And I raise the question because, as you might have noticed, the very first word in our psalm today is blessed. It's the first word. It's the start of this new sermon series, and we're examining the different genres of psalms and specifically asking how we use these psalms in prayer. And this genre of psalm falls into the category of the wisdom psalm. So the first thing I want you to notice, other than the first word of the psalm is blessed, I want you to notice the overall proposition that this psalm is setting up for us. This first psalm acts as the gatekeeper, the gatekeeper for all the other psalms to follow. It stands there and it says, these are the terms. And if you can't accept these terms, then there's no need to proceed any further. So what are the terms? 
were presented with a mutually exclusive proposition. The psalm tells us there are two paths. The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked are stated a little differently. The way of the wise, the way of the unwise. Which path will you take? The wicked will perish, but the righteous, blessed. Or blessed, if you prefer, uh, per, excuse me, if you prefer the old English. If the choice is to be blessed or to perish, I don't think it's a stretch that we're all in agreement here that we'll take the blessed route. But before we go any further, we really need to understand what we mean by blessed, don't we? What does it mean when it tells us, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked? This is telling me, if, if I don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, if I don't stand in the path of sinners, if I don't sit in the seat of scoffers, if I avoid those things, right, then the Lord will give me blessings? Is that what the scriptures are proposing here? Some translations will translate the word blessed as being synonymous with the word happy. Who doesn't want to be happy, right? We all want happiness. And what is it that makes me happy? Well, all kinds of things. If I get that new house, that would make me happy. If I get a raise at work, that'll make me happy. Shoes. If you give me a nice pair of shoes, that will make me happy. That's just that we tend to define our happiness by our circumstances. And you know, all those things and circumstances I've already mentioned are great. I'm not here to say material things are bad. Not at all. But what I want us to understand is the biblical definition of happiness, of blessedness, runs deeper than what we typically understand as happiness. It's more than just a passing emotional feeling. And it's seldom defined by our circumstances. Jesus spoke a lot about blessedness. In his Sermon on the Mount, he had a few statements, each starting with the word blessed or blessed, right? Who is, who is it that he said was blessed? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers and those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. When you read a list like that, it almost makes you stop in your tracks and, and make you guess again, well, maybe I don't want to be blessed. That doesn't sound very good. So if that's what Jesus is saying, it has to be more than just a passing emotional feeling. Because again, we tend to look at the circumstance and define our happiness off of it. It has to be more than just circumstance. Those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, and those who are meek, we don't typically associate those types of descriptors with happiness. If you're mourning, you're not happy, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, the kingdom of heaven, that sounds pretty good. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, being comforted, that, that would make me happy. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The earth, that sounds like a good inheritance. So what Jesus is telling us is that happiness, true happiness, might not be found on the path we've come to expect. When I was in my 20s, I went through a period where I was engaged to be married and I couldn't find a job. I lived in a condo because I was in between jobs. I, I couldn't afford that condo anymore. I tried to sell it, but at the time the market was depressed 
and, and I couldn't sell it for what I needed to sell it for. So then I tried to lease it. I was trying everything. I emptied it out. I moved out. I moved in with a friend who was letting me stay there for free. Well, I tried to lease out this condo. So the condo was empty. No one was in it. And that was the time when no one was around, when no one was home for days at a time that a pipe broke in the bathroom and the entire place flooded. Things went from bad to worse. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I remember feeling so defeated during that time. I'm sure I was a joy to be around. Again, I was just engaged to be married and, and I'm sure my, my wife was thinking, boy, I, I picked a real winner here. I really convinced myself that if I could just find a job, then I would be happy. And if I could find a good home, then I'd be happy. And then if I could just get, and get married, then I'd be happy. And, and then if I could have kids and, and a family after that, then, then I'd be happy. Do you find yourself saying similar things? If I could just have fill in the blank, then I'll be happy. You see, what you have to realize is that there are so many people out there. You meet them all the time, every day, who have all those things and more. And happiness eludes them. As a society and a culture, we've got it wrong. We've bought into a counterfeit wisdom, accumulating things. However good those things might be, is not the path to happiness, to blessedness. This is what Jesus is telling us. Your circumstances are not the dictator of happiness. So how do we get it? How do we find happiness? How do we obtain happiness, true happiness? Accumulating things can only give us a short-lived feeling of satisfaction. It's always temporary. I was just talking about this with my son just the other day, and I was trying to get him to understand in a way that he can understand. He loves technology, he loves computers, iPhones, electronic gadgetry, all that stuff. And in just in his lifetime, he's only 16 years old, and just in his lifetime, he's experienced this, this feeling of fleeting satisfaction. It was just a couple of years ago, he saved up all his money. He saved and saved and saved and saved. And he finally got enough to get this new computer, a really good computer, a major upgrade to the one that I'd given him, right? And when he finally pulled the trigger to purchase the computer, it literally brought tears to his eyes, it made him weep. He was overjoyed that he was finally going to get the computer that he saved up so long for. You know what? He sold that computer earlier this year and he got a better one. And so I tried to explain it like this. See, remember how happy it made you to get that computer? How happy you were? It brought tears to your eyes. But it passes. It diminishes. It makes you happy in the, moment, in the moment, but eventually it goes away and you start looking for something better. Something to make you feel a little bit more. The biblical definition of happiness, of blessedness, is joyfulness. It means being fulfilled being satisfied, truly satisfied. It's not temporary. And again, as Jesus points out, this, this joyful satisfaction and fulfillment occurs irrespective of conditions like being poor in spirit or in mourning or if you're meek. Wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you like to know that? That isn't temporary. It doesn't go away. It persists despite the circumstances around you. How do we get that kind of joy? Well, Psalm 1 tells us, blessed is the man, it's about to tell us here, here we go, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Okay, I get it. 
all those things sound bad. I don't want to do any of those things. Who wants to, who wants to walk in the counsel of the wicked and, and in the way of sinners? Anyone? Did anyone wake up this morning and think, you know, I'd like to sit in the seat of a scoffer today? Anyone? Anyone at all? See, I don't think that's the problem most of us are facing each day. I don't think there are many of us that, that, that get here and wake up in the morning and, and set out on a path. I'm going to go be wicked today. You know, it's more subtle than that. Think about the sin of our very first parents in the garden. The serpent didn't approach them with a diabolical plan to destroy the earth. He approached them under the false pretense of, would you like to be like God? Do you want to be like God? Yes, I think that might make me happy. This is why we count this first psalm amongst the psalms of wisdom. Wisdom's path is seldom the obvious one. The way of wisdom is counterintuitive to our seductive sinful nature. And no, you may not wake up with a heart purposed on sin, but it still finds you. So how do you avoid that? Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. When you see the word law here, I don't want you to think strictly about the Ten Commandments or even the first five books of the Bible, which we refer to as the law. When the psalm speaks of the law, we can think of this being synonymous with the word, God, the word of God, the entire counsel of God, God's instructive, protective words that we find in the Bible. So how do we avoid the path of wicked sinners and scoffers and, 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 and take the path of blessedness? You delight yourself in his word and meditate on it day and night. Really, Lee Eric, is that the answer you're going to give us? That's the answer you're going to give me today? The way to true happiness is, is reading my Bible? I know there are a number of you that participated in uh, Vacation Bible School at Old Hickory Boulevard, uh, uh, the Old Hickory Boulevard campus this last week. And I was so entertained by the fact that uh, at the conclusion of each session, uh, Jordan uh, would come up and, and ask the kids, tell me, kids, tell me, who did you learn today about in your Bible lesson? Who can tell me? And they would raise their hands. And the first two answers were always and inevitably God followed by Jesus. And she'd have to prod them some more. Who else? <laughs> who else did you learn about today? Of course, God and Jesus are going to be the, the, in every story. So coming to church and hearing the preacher say the key to finding true happiness is reading your Bible feels a little like one of those stock church answers. God, Jesus, the Bible. We got them, right? Of course it is. But I want you to understand what this looks like. When the psalm tells us to meditate on it day and night, what do you think that means? I know a number of us probably have an idea of what we think of, think about when we think of meditation. Perhaps for some of you, it means sitting in a yoga-like posture, thinking of the same thing over and again. I'm just going to focus on love. I'm going to focus on love. I'm going to focus on love. Or some of you, maybe it means just emptying your heart, emptying your mind and listening for the Holy Spirit to speak to you and, and then leaving that wondering, was that the Holy Spirit or was that just my own subconscious thoughts, right? So what was it? What is it actually? When they tell me to meditate, what am I supposed to do? What does, it what does it mean to meditate on the Word of God day and night? In its most basic sense, meditation here is translated to mean murmur or mutter. And it alludes to a sound that an animal makes or a moaning noise. So how does that make any sense insofar as what we need to do? Go back to the time when the scriptures were written, when the Psalms were written. The scriptures were not generally available to anybody, to everybody, right? So they had to memorize it in part and ponder and ponder the acts of the Lord. So the main way they would ingest the word through memorization would be to repeat it over 
and over and over again in their minds and maybe even out loud muttering what they were just read from the scriptures. And for those of you in school, for those of you no longer in school, you remember the days, the impressions of how we learned are still etched upon our minds. If you were studying, trying to memorize something, memorize a definition for a test, you wouldn't just say it silently in your mind. You'd probably say it out loud, maybe even to a mirror. You'd probably say it out loud. And it wasn't so long ago when I was being examined by, uh, for, for licensure by the Nashville Presbytery that they would ask me a question like, what is justification? And they didn't want me to respond with what my interpretation of justification was. They wanted me to recite the definition as articulated in the Westminster Confession of Faith. In the Shorter Catechism, justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardoneth of our sins and accepteth us as righteous in his sight, if only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. I really do have it memorized, but I didn't want to choke right up in here in front of you, so I read it. In trying to memorize that, yes, I'd walk around. I'd walk around muttering it. I'd walk around repeating it to myself so I would have it. I wouldn't have to uh, think that it would slip my mind. I would have it ingrained in my mind. So I'd walk around like that doing that. Now, I'm not going to say that, yes, that's what we should do. Should we go around all muttering the word of God silent to ourselves? Well, I'm not going to say no. (laughs) I bet it wouldn't hurt to make that our practice. Memorize it so you don't forget it. But more likely it's telling us not even necessary to make sure you have a quiet time every day, though that's a good practice too, but to reflect on God's word in, in the course of your daily activities, day and night. It means through any and every situation that you're in, whether you deem it to be a good circumstance, a bad circumstance, or indifferent, neutral, right? Filter your experience through the lens of God's word. Let your behavior and attitude in each of those situations be dictated by the instruction of God's word. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we're told, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. In some of your ways, all of the ways. Acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So how does that look practically speaking? Here's here's a... Here's a basic example. Have you ever paid too much for something or you paid for something and received too much change in return? And when you discover you've received too much change in return, what do you do? You give it back? Do you put it in your pocket and walk away? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here. What difference does it make either way? Now, most of us as Christians will say, of course, give it back. Why? Why do we give it back? because it's the right thing to do. The Bible tells us to be honest and not to steal, so keeping what's not mine would be breaking God's law. You return it because it's the right thing to do. And generally speaking, we're really good at that as Christians. We form our worldview with the Bible in mind, and when we're pressed about why we believe the things we believe, we we cite the fact that the Bible tells us so. And don't get me wrong, that's a really good reason to do the things you do, because the Bible tells me so. But let's meditate on this. Why? Does the Bible tell me this is a good thing to do? Why does the Bible care one way or the other if I return the extra change or not when no one else in the world will know or care either way whether I did or not? Because we serve a God who is just. And not only is he just, he's perfectly just. And we, as Christians, are reflections of who he is. Returning the change that isn't mine isn't just a matter of right versus wrong. It's a matter of God's holy character. 
God's holy character. We, we find God in the tiniest of details. So yes, every little thing matters, even when we think no one knows, sees, or cares. So as a matter of honoring the perfect character of God, yes, I'll return the change that doesn't belong to me. It matters because God's character matters. And see, that's not just a strong moral ethic. That's a mindset and a lifestyle that's undergirded by the word of God. Why should I care one way or the other about gender and sexuality? What difference does it make? Because sexuality isn't just a random topic in the Bible that God gives us a set of strict rules to follow. He doesn't tell us to be protective of sexuality because he's a cosmic killjoy. He tells us to be protective of sexuality because it's a reflection of his character. It's a reflection of his, it's a reflection of his relationship between he and his bride, the church. We're not just following rules there. It's a mindset and a lifestyle that's undergirded by the Word of God. Did you wake up this morning in a miserable circumstance thinking, why has God done this to me? Why is God making me go through this? What have I done? Maybe you lost your job. Maybe your condo was flooded too, metaphorically, literally. Do you know as a believer in the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf, your sins are paid for in full? past, present, and future. So whatever circumstance you're in right now, if you've ever had the thought, God is punishing me for something, stop thinking that. Jesus Christ has paid the punishment for all your sins. Punishment is over for you. It's over. God now uses the circumstances that you're in, every last one of them, to mold you and shape you and craft you to bear the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. He uses every single circumstance to make you like Jesus. That's what he's doing. We're not just following rules. It's a mindset and a lifestyle that's undergirded by the word of God. And you have to repeat these things to yourself over and over and over again because we forget them all the time. We forget them day in and day out. We forget them from week to week. So we repeat them over and over and over again and memorize them and get them in our heads. So we remember because we so often forget. Think about it the way the the psalmist tells us. He likens it to a tree planted on a riverbank, a tree that yields fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. Pay attention to the imagery there. You see a tree planted anywhere else is subject to the circumstances around it. If the tree doesn't get water, the tree dies. We were just in the uh, uh, um, Arizona a couple weeks ago for, for our vacation. And let me tell you, it's beautiful. It's the first time in my life I'd ever seen the Grand Canyon. And they're not joking when they say words don't do it justice. I'm not gonna try and describe it for you because like I said, it just doesn't, doesn't do justice. The whole area, everything around it was beautiful and reflected a color palette that I'm, I'm not used to seeing around here. It was beautiful and it was hot. <laughs> It was so hot. And they tell you, it's okay. It's a dry heat. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not okay. <laughs> you know, where else is a dry heat? Inside an oven. <laughs> it's not. When it's 110 degrees outside, I'm not sure any of us are feeling really comfortable. Oh, it's a dry heat. No, it's fine. And of course, the landscape out there means, you know, if that's dry, it's, it's, it's a lot of earth tones, as you might imagine. Okay. You don't see a lot of green grass in the front yard. You see plenty of rocks. A lot of yards, front yards that are nothing but rocks. A lot of uh, uh, cacti out there. And as we drove around once in a while, we'd, we'd get to drive down into a valley. And because what little rain they get, right? 
and, and how does water accumulate? It runs downhill and it accumulates the bottom of that valley into a stream. And there in the stream, you would see greenery. We'd see trees. A tree planted along the riverbank isn't subject to the same stress a tree on higher ground is subject to. But you see, even a tree, even a tree planted along the riverbank is subject to seasons. Yet the tree remains alive and green, not because of the seasons and circumstances around it, but because of what undergirds it. A relentless stream of nourishment. The tree in the stream, unlike other trees, it doesn't wither because its roots are down into something else. What's the stream that undergirds your life from moment to moment? What is it that guides your mindset despite the circumstances around it? You see, for the Christian, it's not the circumstances around us that dictate our blessedness, our happiness. In fact, sometimes as a result of a drought, as a result of dry seasons, of fruitlessness in life that, that causes you to put down your roots even further in ways you never did before. And the further the roots go down, the more nourishment you receive. The more nourishment you receive, the more you feel not superficially happy, but happy in a joyful, secure, and satisfied sense. Your happiness isn't rooted in the temporal, it's rooted in the eternal, that which does not wither away. You feel the strain of the seasons, but you're never cut off. You're perpetually nourished. In other words, happiness, happiness isn't the sum total of what happens to you in any given moment in life. Happiness does not consist of what happens to you, but happiness consists in what you are, in what you're made of. What nourishes you and what anchors you. And so this psalm is telling us, don't go looking for happiness. Don't go looking for happiness. This is a mutually exclusive, exclusive choice that the psalm outlines for us. Look, look for happiness or look for righteousness. Look for happiness or look for righteousness. And, and here's the secret. If you seek righteousness more than happiness, you'll get both. If you seek happiness more than righteousness, you'll get neither. Perhaps you've heard our senior pastor, Scott Saul, say this before. He'll often say, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get, ne and you get neither. And that's great. I love that quote. I love these thoughts. You know why? Because they're reflective of what Jesus said. Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. What are these other things he's talking about? What other things will be added to me? I want to know about those. He mentioned them just a few verses before. It talks about being clothed better than the lilies of the field, having food. And if God covers the earth with green grass, how much more will he cover you? In other words, all your needs will be met. You'll be fulfilled and satisfied. And then he finishes that thought with, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Sign me up for that. But you see that statement, it's front loaded. It's front loaded. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the front half. Aim for heaven first. Filter your life through the lens of God's word and you'll get earth thrown in too. You see, in the end, as, as the psalm tells us, there are only two ways to come to God. You can say, God, I'm coming to you, but when I do, you owe me. 
If I'm going to come to you, you owe me. If I come to you, I expect all the nice circumstances and all the material blessings that go along with it, good health and good fortune. That's my price if I come to you. And if that's the God you're coming to, I, I really hate to tell you this, but you're coming to a false God. A God who just gives you all the things you ask for and expect in the name of happiness. That God is going to eventually and probably very soon fail you, sooner rather than later. Or, or the psalm is telling us you can come to God saying, I owe you everything. I owe you everything. I will abandon my pursuit of happiness and instead pursue you. Seek you and find you in, in your word. And here's the irony. The less concerned you are about your happiness and the more you're concerned about his righteousness, the happier you'll be. The more content you'll be, the more satisfied you'll be. Happiness, contentment, satisfaction, joyfulness can only come as a byproduct of your pursuit of righteousness. Think about the prodigal son. He left in pursuit of happiness. He never found it. It was only when he came back to his father saying, forgive me, father, make me your servant. Make me your servant. I owe you my life. It was only then that the father brought out the royal garments and the fatted calf. This is what wisdom, the unconventional wisdom of God tells us to do. If you want life, you have to give it up. This is God's wisdom. So how do we pray for this? If this series is all about praying this, then, then pray this psalm. Pray this very prayer. Read to the psalm. Read God's word back to him. Pray it that way. And then how do you put this psalm to work? Pray, dear Lord, help me give up my pursuit of happiness. Help me give up looking for, for happiness in my circumstances, which, which blows away like chaff in the wind. And instead, help me to be rooted in your word and pursue you and your righteousness first. Help me to see every aspect of life through the lens of your word. Help me, direct, help me to direct my life through the pursuit of righteousness and nothing else. Open my eyes to your word, Lord. Help me ingest it, nourish my body with it, Lord. And let that be the thing that informs every aspect of my life. This is what the psalm is telling us. Wisdom, the way of the wise, is the one who's grounded their life in God's word and built their life around it. And here's the best part. The psalm has given us a roadmap to happiness. And all we have to do is ground ourselves in his word. But if you're like me, that's something that I, I fail at every day, every single day. But thanks be to God, he gave his son who perfectly rooted himself in God's word and he lived a perfectly righteous life on your behalf. He did that for you. And now your inheritance is secure. It can't be moved. But for the rest of your life, the rest of your life, your pursuit of righteousness is rooted in the fact that your reward has already been secured. You've got it. You've got it. And for the rest of your life, your pursuit of righteousness is rooted in the security of Jesus Christ, what he has afforded you before the Father. And in your pursuit of righteousness, in your pursuit of Jesus, you're being made like him. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Would you pray with me? Father, help us to understand what this psalm is telling us. 
that happiness isn't found in circumstances, but can only be found through our pursuit of you. Help us to do that. Help us to seek you and not happiness. Help us to leave here knowing that our status has been secured and make our hearts so grateful that we can't help but be overwhelmed by your grace extended to us through your son. Let it be so. And in your son's name we pray this. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Lyric. You know, this uh, table we're about to take is uh, a blessing upon us. And it's not one because of our feelings. It's not one because of our circumstances. You know what this table is? Just quite simply, this table shows us where God's happiness is. And when you taste this table, you realize that the reason we call it the body and blood of Jesus is because you're blessed because God has placed his happiness upon you and Jesus. That's it. You know what's so restful about that? You can bring all your feelings. <laughs> you can bring all your circumstances. You can bring the entire mess and load to this table and it doesn't change his happiness towards you because it all rests in Christ. That's your, that's your circumstance. That's your, your life. And, and that's what helps us make sense of it. Isn't that true in any relationship? When you have someone with you in the deepest, worst parts of your life and feelings and circumstances, and you know that you're loved, don't you know that you can get through that? Imagine that on a divine level. And that we taste and see because God hasn't just said it. He hasn't just given you an idea. He hasn't just said word. And, and, and Lyric said this, that the Bible sounds like just a lot of words. You know what the Bible actually is telling us is that Jesus has come. So there's actually a person who comes with you and that his happiness isn't, hey, I'm happy about you. His happiness is that I've sent my son for you. And so if you're here this morning, bring your feelings, bring your circumstances and taste and see that the Lord is happy with you because of Jesus. And if you're here maybe this morning, what you heard was difficult because you, you don't, I don't know if I actually believe in Jesus or it's great talk, but don't take the table just because everyone else is. You, you don't want to do that and be disingenuous. With integrity, think about it and, and let's talk about it because you want to make sense of this without just taking it like everyone else. So feel free to either stay in your seat or come forward and, and fold your hands and receive a benediction over you. And then let's talk about it, because I love talking about that, because I'm a mess and my circumstances are really hard and I need this table just as much as you. So in a moment, we're gonna have a opportunity to confess our hearts before the Lord silently, but let's stand now.